Ave Maria Radio and Renewal Ministries presents Fire on the Earth, a compelling look at the new evangelization through inspiring teachings, interviews, and testimonies. Hello, friends, and welcome to Fire on the Earth. I'm Pete Barak, filling in for Peter Herbeck this week, and we've come to the final day of the week, and it's been a good week. I've enjoyed it. It's been fun filling in, sitting in this seat. I've been on the show before in the other seat, and so it's been fun to kind of unpack with all of you some foundational aspects of what it means to walk with Jesus. We've looked at our identity in Christ. We looked at what the Lord has done in us, that some of the do's and don'ts that the, <laughs> that Paul gives us in Colossians. We've talked about suffering. And today I wanted to extend an olive branch to all the type A personalities who've been listening, who've been thinking, well, okay, Pete, this is all really great, but what do we actually do? What are the to-do lists of a disciple. And I recognize that we've kind of kept it at the hypothetical level over the last four days. And so today I want to dive into a little bit more of some tangible things, some tangible recommendations for how we can live as a disciple. So we're calling this the habits of a disciple. We want to look at behavior that you can repeatedly do that helps us live in harmony and consistency with our life as a disciple. And so these habits are not so much like don't do the sin or it's more of like, how do we, how do we live as a disciple? What does it tangibly look like in our life? And I want to recommend that you, you read the gospels with this mindset of not just looking at the, or reading the gospels through the lens of what did Jesus say, which is important, but more of like, what did he model for us that we can translate to our lives? So, and get really practical about it. Like, just read the Gospels and say, like, what does Jesus reveal to us about what it looks like to be him and to be in union with the Father as he was united to the Father, to be led by the Spirit as he was led by the Spirit, to be in a family on mission, which is what he built around him, an extended family on mission. All of those aspects and say, okay, how does that apply to me today? Because Jesus was real, you know, he had a real body, he was moving through the world, he actually slept, he actually ate, he actually did human things. And so it's important that we don't just learn from his teaching, but we also learn from his witness. And we apply the teaching to our life, but we also apply his witness to our life. So with that in mind, I've got kind of three recommendations for us today. The first one is, I think every disciple should have time every day of solitude and silence solitude and silence time where we are alone with god and silent before him and i'm a father of five my wife and i are blessed with five children 11 and under so silence is kind of a construct for me i'm not i i i think i know what silence is but really i have to work to find time where i can be still and know that he is god and so for me, actually, my, my best time to be silent is in the car after I've dropped the kids off at school, that about 15-minute commute from the school to the office is prime time silence for me and solitude. Yes, I'm out in the world. Yes, I'm driving a vehicle. Yes, I'm paying attention to the road bomb. But I am still, and I'm trying to have my heart directed towards him. And actually, driving helps me because it gives my, my body something to be engaged with while my mind is able to, to focus on the Lord. Solitude and silence. Why do we need solitude and silence? For, for a couple of reasons. One, Jesus models this for us. Multiple times throughout the scriptures, 
we hear of him going off alone to commune with his father. Certainly at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he spends the days in the desert alone in the desert. But then there's also times where he just goes alone to be with the father. Because the noise of the world is robust, isn't it? There's constantly podcasts and radio shows and social media and phone calls and work concerns. I mean, there's just so much noise constantly bombarding our minds and our hearts that are trying to inform us, trying to change us, trying to persuade us. And so we need to be able to find time every day to cut all that out and just be before the Lord. Bishop Scott McKegg from Canada talks about entering into prayer, saying a simple prayer, saying, Lord, let the real me encounter the real you. I just want to be before you, Lord. Because as we gaze on him, we see him for who he really is, and we see ourselves for who we really are. Because we actually find ourselves in his eyes, not through just self-analysis. The more we kind of look at ourselves, the more often we lose ourselves. But the more we look at him and receive from him who we really are, the more we know who we really are. So, and the more we know who we really are, what happens is we get to to see kind of we're naked before him, we're fully exposed for who we are, and we see ourselves as he sees us, what is developed is a compassion for others because we go, oh my gosh, I need a savior. I'm broken. I'm wounded. I'm hurting. And you're healing me, Lord. And now when we go out into the world and we encounter other broken, hurting, and people who need healing, we don't judge. We have compassion because it's like, yeah, you got problems. You've got brokenness. So do I. Join the club. And so solitude and silence actually builds compassion for other people in our life. The other thing that the Lord can do in solitude and silence is he can just put in us his living word. He can give us something that kind of burns in us that then he can invite us to share later. That a lot of times if we're just constantly talking, if noise is constantly happening, we get everyone's perspective but his. I mean, how often have you have you done something like that where you end up getting everyone's perspective but the person you really most need the perspective from? And as a disciple, the perspective we are most interested in is Jesus's. And so only in solitude and silence where we actually listen can we learn to hear his voice. And then as we've talked about during this week, it's learning to hear his voice and then doing something about it. So solitude and silence, first habit of a disciple. And I probably should have said this at the beginning, but this is not a comprehensive list of habits of a disciple. This is the 13-minute version of some of the habits of a disciple. So the first one is solitude and silence. Second one is a disciple lives in community and builds community with other disciples. That very rarely in the history of the church is a disciple called to be alone all the time. Now, I, re- I recognize I just said solitude and silence is one of the habits. Well, the other, another habit is regular times of not being alone but intentionally being in relationship with other disciples for two reasons. Well, many reasons, but two of the reasons why we need community is one for accountability to have somebody hold us accountable to the life that we believe and that we're trying to live in to the new man, to the new creation, to the putting off of the list in Colossians that we talked about earlier in the week and putting on all the good stuff that the Lord wants to do in us. To have people who really know what's going on in our heart, where we can live in the light with other disciples, without judgment, without fear, without shame, but with truth. We need people who are able, because they love us, to speak the truth into what's going on in our hearts. To be able to say, this is what I'm dealing with, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm 
wrestling with or struggling with and for somebody who is another disciple to be God's voice to us, to hold us accountable. And the second thing is to provide perspective. We need other disciples to see the world as God sees it. He gives us the grace to see the world as he sees it. But man, it's amazing how often he utilizes other disciples to help fill in the gaps or provide a different angle or slightly different perspective on something we know to be true, but he confirms in us through the witness and the words of somebody else. So community is vitally important so that disciples aren't these lone wolves struggling on our own, trying to figure it out all for ourselves. And the highest expression of this, of course, it's the church. The church is the body of Christ, the family of God on the earth, the community of communities. And the church is weak and hurting and broken when she doesn't create environments where people can be seen, can be received, can be challenged, can be healed, can be refreshed, where people can receive and and extend perspective. So solitude and silence is vitally important to the life of a disciple, but also regular expressions and rhythms of community. And then the third is, you may have guessed this, but a disciple sees their life as a life that's lived on mission. And you say, Pete, what's practical about that? Well, here's how it's practical. Very few people are called to a mission that is different than the life they're already kind of living. What do I mean by that? Very few people are called to sell everything they have and go move to Papua New Guinea and preach in the jungles. Some people are, but rarely. Most disciples are called to live on mission in the job they're already working, in the neighborhood they're already living in, in the gym they already pretend to work out in, in the hobbies and the the passions of their life. I mean, think about this. Why would the Lord put in us a desire for certain things and a pleasure in certain activities if he didn't want us to also utilize that for the kingdom. Too often, we see mission as something I have to fit into my life once it's convenient, as opposed to, as Pope Francis said, my life is a mission. Everywhere I go, I am a disciple first. Therefore, everywhere I go, the kingdom goes with me. Therefore, everywhere I go, I am inviting people into the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to the kingdom, to grow in faith, to see conversion happen. If you see mission as something extra in your life, you probably won't do it. Let's just be honest. We live busy lives. We have very full schedules. When mission is something that is just one thing that has to fit, we rarely make it fit. But when we transform our perspective on things we already are committed and excited to do, then the Lord can show us places and people that do not know him, but we have regular interaction with. So instead of saying like, okay, I've got pickleball on Friday, I've got my fantasy football draft on Tuesday, I've got my extended family you know, weekly dinner on Wednesday night, no room for mission. No, 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 no. Who are the people that you're playing pickleball with who need to hear the gospel? Who are the people at your fantasy draft who have never encountered Jesus? Who in your extended family needs to have somebody really listen to them and love them and wade into their suffering? The disciple recognizes that Jesus is always on mission. So our job is not to create mission. It's not to convince him to go on mission. 
No, no. The job of a disciple is to acknowledge and recognize what Jesus is doing in every circumstance and in every person and then say, Lord, do you want me to do it with you? You realize that every single person you meet for the rest of their life and the rest of your life, every single person is being pursued by the Lord because he wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to know him. He wants everyone to be living in a relationship with him. So you don't have to convince Jesus to go on mission. You need to enter into the restaurant and say, Lord, what are you already doing here? And do you want me to do it with you? Because sometimes he'll say, yes, yes, I want you to say that, that word to the, the waitress. I want you to ask the, the person in the booth next door whether or not you can pray with them because of they've got a broken foot or whatever. There's a thousand different ways that the Lord might ask you to participate in it. But the posture of a disciple is not, oh, i got to go figure out a way to drum up mission in my workplace. No, no, no. The posture is to live in and through the things that the Lord has already put before you and say, Lord, whatever you're doing here, I want to come into agreement with it and I want to do whatever I can, well, better yet, whatever you ask me to do in order to extend and perpetuate and propel that mission. Sister Ann Shields talks about how it might take somebody 250 conversations before they come to faith. You might be number one, you might be number 17, you might be number 249, or you might be number 250. No matter what, we all play our role and we cooperate with the, what the Lord is asking us to do. So, habits of a disciple, a couple quick ones, solitude and silence every day, live in and through community, and see your life as a mission and be ready to go on it. This has been Fire on the Earth. I'm Pete Burak filling in for Peter Herbeck. If you'd like more information about what we're doing, you can go to renewalministries.net. I'd love to connect with all of you and hear your perspective on this week of shows. Thank you so much. God bless. Each program of Fire on the Earth with Peter Herbeck can be downloaded at AveMariaRadio.net and RenewalMinistries.net. Fire on the Earth is a production of Ave Maria Radio. Friends, I'd like to offer you my new booklet, Receiving Fire. Jesus said, I have come to cast fire on the earth, would that it were already ablaze. That fire is the purifying love that burns in the heart of Jesus. A fire of grace for those who receive it, but a fire of judgment for those who refuse it. If you'd like a copy of this free booklet, call 1-800-282-4789 or contact us on the web at renewalministries.net slash FOE. That's renewalministries.net slash FOE.